0: Welcome to the Shit Show of My Twenties. My name's Sophia. I'm a 20 year old from California, personal development junkie. I'm a loan officer by day, podcaster on the weekends. I've always loved listening to podcasts. My personal development journey started early in high school when my ex broke up with me, and I just didn't know how to handle it. So I Googled how to get over your ex. And I went and saw all these articles about personal development and really working on yourself. So I was like, you know what, I'll give it a try. And I got into one podcast. It all started with the School of Greatness with Lewis Howes. And then I just started to spiral and see Tony Robbins and just see everything and see everyone and listen to Angie Lee. And I've always wanted to start a podcast, but I've always gotten my own way. So I pushed it off for a couple years and then I got furloughed from my job back in April and I decided, you know what, now's the time. It's either going to happen now or it's never going to happen. So I just did it and I started and I post, I sent all these TMs to so many different people. I thought so many people were going to say no. And to my surprise, a lot of people said yes. So I ended up overbooking myself doing three to four interviews a day for the first couple weeks. Was furloughed for 10 weeks and really maximized on that time and just did a ton of interviews and it's been incredible getting to interview so many different people from so many different walks of life and just hear about their struggles and how they were able to overcome them and reflect back on their 20s I've interviewed such a variety of people from therapists to a chef who called off her engagement and called in the one to a singer to multi seven-figure entrepreneurs to a real estate investor who retired at 27 and is making over five figures of passive income every month. And it's been so incredible to hear these stories and these unfiltered conversations and just being able to ask any question that I want. And if there's one thing I want you guys to get out of this podcast, it's just to really live full out because you never know when... You never know if you have tomorrow, we really only have today in this moment, so might as well just live full out. If any of these topics resonate or any of the episodes resonate with you, I would really love if you would leave a review and share it with a friend who you think it might resonate with. Today's guest is Simon. I loved chatting with him. I actually interviewed his girlfriend, Samantha Roberto, a while back and Sam's actually my coach, and she recommended Simon, and it's so cool because I got to hear his side of the How We Met story. They have the cutest How We Met story I've ever heard, so I love hearing the story. It's incredible. I'm so excited for you guys to hear it. Simon has like quite the journey from growing up in Morocco, walking several hours just to get to school in the morning, to coming to the U.S., being homeless. We talk about his near-death experience, and how right now he's really been learning how to surrender and how he got into coaching what inspired him to become a public speaker and so much more so so many good parts of this interview i'm really excited for you guys to hear it let's get started so thank you so much simon for joining me today i'm really looking forward to getting to know you love to know about your story how did you get to the place you're at right now
1: Thank you, Sophia. I, uh, I'm very happy to be here. And also want to thank Sam for introducing us. Uh, so my name is Simon Sadie. I'm a, an entrepreneur and also a life and business strategist. I'm also a public speaker. And uh, it's been a long journey for where, where where I came from and where I am today. But, you know, we have to always look at life as an evolving process. So today I'm doing this. But uh, who knows three or five years from now what I'll be doing else. And uh, yeah, I'll be happy to walk you through, um, you know, my journey on this episode.
0: Yeah, I'd love to know about like growing up in Morocco. What was that like?
1: Yeah, so I'm originally from Morocco. And what was it like? I always like to give uh, people this analogy about the film, the movie, uh, Aden. Yeah. Have you seen it? Yeah. So pretty much it's, it's almost... The same, except that I didn't have a key, and also I wasn't stealing anything. But yeah, life was uh, life was tough. So my story started when I was six years old. You know, I remember it was time for me to go to school, and my parents were arguing a lot on that day because they did not have the means to put me through school. Because it takes a lot to buy supplies and registration and everything. So, uh, my mom took me on top of her shoulders, put me on top of her shoulders, and she walked for like four hours on an afternoon. And it was early September, super hot day. And she walked through the hills to another mountain to get to another village where this wise man was living and everybody in the region respected. And when we got to his place, she was crying and she was begging him to help me find a way to go to school because she told him she didn't want to raise kids that are illiterate like she was and, and my dad because they did not go to school. And at that moment, you know, something shifted in me and, and I was like, if, if I can get to school I promise I will make the best out of myself and out of my life. And, you know, luckily enough, that gentleman used somebody else who heard about our story and they provided a scholarship for me and my brother for the next 10 years. So every September, we always look up for this big box that gets shipped from Casablanca to our village, and it's filled with notebooks, pens, colorful stuff, and I was super, super happy and excited to, to get to, to school. And, and on that day, I remember I, I literally, I, I grew up from being a six years old kid to, to being a man. And I become more responsible about how, how I think, about my time, about everything else that's, that I do. And I went on to school to be, I've always been the, the top three, the top three students. And it's because it comes from the necessity you know, I, my family was a, the poorest of, of, of a poor village. We literally did not have much. We lived off donations of people, and we, when you grew up from that kind of environment, uh, you don't take anything for granted, right? So, you know, fast forward, I moved, We moved to a bigger city called Marrakesh for me, so that I can, you know, uh, continue my my studies and go to school, go to high school. Actually, that was the reason. And in case, it was like Vegas for Morocco. It's like a very touristic city. There's a lot of cultures that come from all over the world. And that's for me, it was an, an opportunity to actually get exposed to different cultures, different languages, different people. And from there, I started thinking about how I would like to live the rest of my life. Like this is my teenage times, you know, I've always been, okay, Why is it that people who come from Europe they all seem to be very interesting, very smart, and and very cool? You know, they they have this curiosity about life and our culture. So that's how I got to growing to becoming more curious about life. But when I was 24, I I felt sick, and in Morocco. We don't have at the time, we didn't have like universal healthcare. So the last thing you want is to go see a doctor. And with my family being poor, I I never thought, okay, I'll go to the doctor. So I just stayed sick for several months without knowing what's going on. I lost a lot of weight. And also, uh, I was very skinny and very low energy. And then one day, I could not sleep for the second night in a row. Uh, Every time I lay down, I, I get this shocks inside my chest that are very like it's like if you've been teased with with uh, electricity and the next day uh, I went to a doctor even though I didn't have the money I spoke to some friends and we gathered some change here and there and I went to a doctor a specialist and when he saw me he was very mad at me that I stayed that sick right and after some analysis that we did on my chest uh, you know x-ray and all that he said hey kid you got 24 hours to live. There were so much liquids on my on my lungs that my lungs could not inflate anymore. That's why I could not breathe. I could not sleep for two nights in a row. And long story short, we ended up booking a surgery the next morning. And we dig a hole in my back and we extracted a lot of liquids out of my lungs. And for the first time that morning, in like eight months, I was able to take a big long deep breath. Something that we take so for granted, right? Just breathing. And after that, I started crying in a hysteric way. I started coughing and, and crying just out of joy and gratitude for 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 staying alive, for being able to breathe again. And we took a piece out of my lungs and we sent it to a lab and we did some tests and it came back as being tuberculosis positive. And from there my doctor said, okay, now you have to follow a treatment for six months with very heavy pills that I used to take, but also it was an expensive treatment. I'm like, God, come on. I just, you know, got some money around like $150, which was like equivalent to a monthly salary to pay for the surgery. How am I going to pay for six months of treatments? And he said, Hey, there's this program by a country called United States of America, Uh, They pay for life-treating diseases like malaria, TB, and AIDS. Uh, They give you medications for free. And it's a program through World Health Organization, but you have to go apply for it at a different hospital, like a government uh, hospital. It's like, if you're lucky, you can get the medication for free. I was like, okay. So I went the next day, I applied, and a couple days after that, I got approved. And that's how I was able to to stay, to stay alive. But even when I was taking that six month treatment, I was told that I had the 23% chance that the virus might fight the antibiotics. And that means that, I, you know, I just have to write my will. You know, I'm not going to make it. So imagine living for six months, not knowing if you're going to get through. So at the time I used to work in, in restaurants, you know, before I got sick, I used to manage restaurants. And uh, when I was sick, I quit that job and I started working as a fake tourist guide in the Jamafna Square in Marrakesh. And this is the scenery that's closer to the Aladdin movie, pretty much, because I was, you know, not authorized to actually take tourists in, in tours, but I do it because I could speak English, and uh, also I get some tips, but also I ask people to give me their books that they've already written. And that's how I was able also to get books that spoke about spirituality, about meditation, about manifestation, about the universe, about the 5D. Because those type of books at the time, you can't really go and buy in a library in Morocco because there's a lot of censorship in in the culture and the topics that you could get access to. So so during those six months, I would say I had a very serious spiritual awakening about who I am and why am I here in this life. And why is it that I, always, I almost lost my life for a virus that I did not even do anything about it? I wasn't smoking, I wasn't like doing anything, you know, uh, that could expose me. It's just in underdeveloped countries, there are diseases like that that, that you could get, you know, out of nowhere. But also, I've developed this sense of gratitude every single morning. For I'm, I'm, I'm grateful. I say a mantra of gratitude that I'm grateful for being alive. I'm grateful for the generosity of a country like the United States. And I'm grateful for the ability to work and do something in my life so I can give back and help other people as well. So in less than two years after that, <clears throat> something interesting happened. I actually won a green card lottery to come live and work in the United States uh, back in 2008. So when that happened... With everything that happened with me in my health and I almost lost my life and I got saved by a program that's being paid by the United States, that was a sign from the universe that hey kid, you know, your life is meant for something much bigger than 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 you can think about. And that's how that's how I, I saw that okay, I need to think differently again. And you know, we can go in deeper into like how I got how I came to LA and California and why exactly California and other things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd
0: lo- love to go back to your near-death experience. Like finding out you might yeah. have six months, like what was that like for you? How did you really maximize those six months? Did you think you were going to make it app, like more than six months or did you think that was like it?
1: Yeah. So th- that was really like for the first time, uh, I, you know, like other people might have, can relate to this if they have other uh, health issues where they were told, hey, your time might be, it's limited. But to me, yeah, I was like, okay, I'm 24. Like, I'm just getting started with with my life, right? Something that really helped me was my doctor. He said, okay, we're going to go check in on you every two months, and then we're going to assess as we go. But he said, something for you to do is go run every other day, run at least like a mile if you can. He said, "The moment you feel like you can't run anymore, like your lungs can't function, that's a sign that maybe we're going to need to go into surgery. Mode, you know, where they cut pieces of your lungs that are infected. You know, in, in hope that they're going to eliminate the, the virus." So mentally, I'm the oldest in my family, so I'm, I'm the provider. I'm you know I'm, I'm the one taking charge of my mom and my sisters and my brother. So I had a bigger why to. Stay alive. I had the bigger why to stay positive. I had a bigger reason to think optimistic way and also discovered the whole law of attraction at the time and how you can literally influence your your life and your, your physical world by your thoughts alone. So even though I was in that situation, I never let my mind go down into uh, doubting myself or doubting the ability that I may not get through. Yes, there was 23% chance, but also there was a 70, 77, I think, uh, chance that I'm going to make it, right? So I was mostly focusing on the positive side. And that's, you know, uh, you know growing up in Morocco with nothing, you literally, you learn how to be okay with, you know, small portion of chance. Like, like if, if you had one chance and one time only, like you're going to have, you're going to have to go for it. Right. So that kind of like a character, that kind of attitude has helped me in so many ways, whether in business, whether in my uh, personal life, it's like you you should never doubt yourself or your ability to figure things out. Even if you had only one chance and and in one last minute. So Mm -hmm.
0: And creating a different reality than the reality you were in in Morocco, what do you think really helped you realize that you can have more in your life and that you can create a whole different thing than what you were used to seeing?
1: Yes. You know, it's very important that we always give ourselves a chance to analyze and also see our lives from a third-party perspective and also from a birds eye view if you look at your life for the past six months, for the past year, for the past three years, you're going to see a trend. You're going to see a direction, how things are going. And when you see that trend, you easily can predict, you know, and you can easily uh, take charge of uh, what else is going to come based on decisions and the mindset you're going to adopt today. Because we are in our, where we are today is just a result of decisions and things that happened in the past. And if you want to change your life from what you had before to you know something else that you want, you have to be proactive today in, in learning the skills, in building the mindset, and in surrounding yourself with the right people, and also, and mostly winning the, the, the war and the, the inside chatter that's in our mind, you know, the monkey mind. That makes you always doubt yourself and like who you are, you know, and and makes you think that you're not worthy of something bigger. So to me, we, when I won the green card lottery before even that, like, so something happened after my surgery. Uh, it's, it's kind of like similar to your story. So I left my job on, on, on restaurants and I had six months to take the treatments and see if I'm going to make it. During those six months, I was working as a fake tourist guide, but also I was working as a free agent, like a sales a person selling domain names. At the time, like I go literally to like offices and, be, and I'd be like, "Hey, do you guys have a website? Well, you can you can buy your xyz.com and you know and make it your own domain name and build your website." So, so I was doing that, and somebody saw something in me in the way I convinced them. On buying things from me and they offered me a job into their sales team. Uh, I took that job and I ended up actually uh, taking care of the whole projects that we were working on. I created a new business in marketing uh, for Markets, for English market doing advertising for real estate and hotels and restaurants and markets and also created the first real estate english magazine in morocco at the time and the then sometimes when you feel like you have your time that is very limited or you you tend to have this magical you know infusion of ideas and also uh, energy of doing something another example it's like you know steve jobs he was given eight months to live before he came up with the iphone mm-hmm. you know and, and and there are so many other reasons when people kind of like feel like their back is against the wall that's when you become more creative that's when you become more innovative and today i talk to people about personal reinvention and, and how you can reinvent who you are and, and your future and i always like to use this analogy like i said uh, adversity breeds creativity. When you are, uh, you know, when you don't have anything when you feel like your wings got cut, when you, when you feel like you're in the lowest point of your life, that's when you become more innovative. That's when you take more risks. That, that's when you try something new just for the sake of trying. Right. So, yeah. So for me, so when I started that company, that was before I won the green card lottery. I didn't know I was going to come to, to, to America, but, Here's, here's where the universe plays. So when I won the green card lottery to come to United States, I didn't want to come here. Even after I got my visa, they give, they give you six months to come to United States or it gets canceled if you don't uh, come during those six months. I didn't want to come to United States because I didn't know anybody. I, I, I didn't know anyone in the United States. And the only place that I wanted to go to was L.A. because we see it in the movie with Californication and all that. And I was like, okay, if I go, I'd be happy to go to California, L.A. maybe. But I didn't know anybody, so I was super in love with my business at the time that even when I got the visa for the green card lottery to come to the United States, I was like, yeah, I'm not going. But here's what happened. Two months before my visa expired... I was exposing, I was showing product at a trade show, a real estate trade show in Marques. And then there's this guy who's originally from Morocco, who lives in L.A., coming to my booth. And uh, he was looking for uh, opportunities to invest in Morocco. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm from California. I was like, oh, yeah, I actually got this thing called a green card. But I don't think I'm going to go because I don't really know anybody there. you know." And he's like, hey, here's my address. Here's my phone number. Come at least get your papers, see how it is. If you don't like it, you can always come back. And so when it was like about uh, a month and a half before my visa expired, something happened that made me think, okay, maybe the universe is pushing me to go there. This company that I started started, The reason for me to start in this company was just to meet this guy at this trade show that I was present at because that guy, is he lives in the only place that I want to go to in California. And that's the reason why this business existed. Now, so many other things happened to me at the time. My business started falling apart. I was going to get married to this girl, you know, that was from a very conservative family and they rejected my proposal. So everything was falling down accept this window to come to the United States. And that's how I knew, okay, the universe is pushing you towards something. You got to seize the opportunity. And and that's how I always believed in the sign and the omens of the universe. I mean, if you read the the, the book, The Alchemist, he talks, you know, uh, Paulo Coelho talks a lot about this. And that's how I knew that, okay, I have a chance to create something bigger, something different. Uh, You know, a a brighter life, a life more of uh, more impact, a life like you. There's no limit on how big you can dream because the universe is sending you to the richest country in the world where anything is possible. And I had to pay attention to that message from God, from the universe. And that's how I looked at that. Okay, now I can change my life. I can take care of my family and also create more impact and influence other people in doing the same.
0: When you came to LA, what'd you start doing? where did you start working at? Did you start like another business? Did you start working with that guy?
1: Yeah, so here, so that guy, his name is Isham, which I highly respect. So I, I was at his house for about three, three or four weeks. I got my social security and all the, you know, all the necessary, you know, the paperwork that you need to start working. And at the time, it, it was a recession. I had no idea, you know, that it was a recession. It was like, uh, what, January 2009? Because when you live in a country like Morocco, you, you have recessions all the time. you like, you know, life is tough. So you just deal with it. So uh, I was told, okay, you, you, you should go start looking for jobs, go to like shops or mall, or mall or whatever and ask people if they're hiring. So a certain Monday, this is funny. I went to, it's called the University Village in Riverside, California, because that's where uh, my friend lived. And I went in and uh, I wanted to go to the shops to the, you know, and ask for jobs. And I I came across this sign saying, help wanted. It was a sushi place. I went inside, filled the application. They're like, yeah, we need somebody to help us out in the kitchen. I was like, okay, yeah, I worked in restaurants before. I can help in the kitchen. That was a fancy word for saying we needed a dishwasher. You know, (laughs) I didn't know. (laughs) So... So I filmed, I filmed the application and uh, I put a lot of experience in there. And uh, I I was sure and certain that I would get the job because they said, okay, we're going to start calling people tomorrow. I was like, cool. All right. So I went back home to the apartment where I was living with a couple of guys and I was like, cool, I got this. So I was super excited about learning about the culture. So I just went, started watching TV and looking at my phone. Um, so it, Tuesday... Wednesday, Thursday morning, nobody called back. So coming from a culture where if somebody tells you they're going to do something, they better do it, especially if it involves, you know, work or something. So nobody called me. So I went back to that sushi place. I was like, I'd like to know why you guys did not call me. So I thought... (laughs) This this is like this is the attitude of like okay you you have to make it so I went back and as as I was walking in the help the help wanted sign was no longer by the door so any regular person would think okay why would you embarrass yourself they probably hired somebody else you know like move on no not me Um, I I need to know why you didn't call then then I'll move on so I went inside and asked for for the manager and. She came and she's like, oh, hi. I was like, hey, do you remember me? I filled an application here last Monday for your help wanted in the kitchen. She's like, oh, yeah, we actually lost all uh, the applications. Let me get you a new one. I was like, crap, my social security was there. You know, like, so she brought me another one. I filled it up and she's like, would you like to have an interview right now? I was like, yeah, sure. I mean, I got nothing to do. I got to find my first job. So we had the interview right there on, uh, and it was Thursday afternoon. And she's like, "Okay, yeah, you did this, you did that. Okay, cool. Can you lift fifty pounds?" I was like, "Yep, I can. You know, whatever." And we ended up agreeing. Okay, let's start our job. Let's start, you know, the next day at eleven a.m. Friday. It was a part-time job, twenty hours a day, twenty hours a week for eight seventy-five, eight dollars seventy-five, like the minimum wage. I was super happy super excited my first job in America and it turns out it's a dishwashing job so long story short I worked there for about three months and then three months and a half and then I started getting bored okay what else can I do because whatever I get paid is barely enough to even pay for for rent with my roommate you know like my roommate you know a very good guy he used to he's was, he was the one who pays for a lot of my groceries at the time So I looked at myself. I'm like, okay, what else can I do? I speak French fluently. So I'm like, okay, maybe there's jobs who need French speakers, right? So I Googled French speaking jobs. And then there was this call center in Santa Ana who they were looking for somebody who speaks French. I sent my resume. Two days after that, I got a call Hey, Simon, would you like to come in for an interview? So I went and in the interview there was no connection with the lady like I uh, I said okay yeah, I spoke here I can speak French I worked here I just got to the country 3 months ago blah blah She said okay we're going to start calling people next week so if you get picked up you know we'll call you so I came back I went back to um, uh, Riverside 2 3 weeks passed I never got a call So similar attitude for the <laughs> just washing job you know. <laughs> You don't tell me you're going to call and you don't call, right? So, so I was like, okay, how can I? Okay, this is not cool. All you needed is somebody who speaks French, not somebody who has like a degree in whatever, right? So I literally took my resume, switched my name and last name, okay? Put my last name as like my name. And, and then I sent the resume again to that email because I still see the job on, I think it was on a list or somewhere. And uh, two days after that, I got a call again. Oh, would you like to come for an interview? I was like, sure, I'll go. On my way there, I I swear to God, on my way there, I was like, if I get that same lady, I will be the one interviewing her. Why you did not call me? Why you did not pick me? (laughs) Because all you needed was somebody to speak French, and I'm here. But I got a different person, so everything went well, and then I got accepted. It was a $15 an hour full-time job. For about five months, you know, I was able to, I mean, here's what I did. I would wake up every day, four in the morning, and I would take the bus to the Metrolink station, and then for, you know, for an hour, and then another hour in Metrolink station from Riverside to, I think, Fullerton or Anaheim somewhere, and then I would take another bus for an hour to get me down to Santa Ana, and I get to the job at around eight in the morning. I start at 8.30, Okay. And then I leave, work at 3.30, I believe. And then same thing, bus, Metrolink, bus to get back to Riverside where I was living at the time. I get there at 7, around 7 p.m. And I go to job. I go back to the dishwashing job at night uh, around 7.30 or 8 for about two hours. I live at, you know, I I finish uh, dishwashing job at 10 p.m. So I get back home. I step around 11 to wake up at 4 and that's how I spent that, you know, that whole, uh, five months. I was able to put down, uh, you know, a thousand dollars on a 2001 Toyota Corolla. That was my first car. And then what happened is in August, 2009. So my call center job with, you know, in Santa Ana ended in July. Uh, my family needed some money. I sent them everything I had and. My dishwashing job cut my hours to only one hour a day just to go and clean things out from 9 p.m. to, to 10. And my lease, the apartment where I was living, because I had a room in an apartment, came up to end in August. And uh, they wanted me to sign a one-year lease um, at $650 a month. And I could not sign a lease. I could not pay my rent anymore. So I found myself being homeless, living in my car by the end of August. That time in my life is really special because for the first time for me to experience Halloween, Thanksgiving, and also Christmas in America, I was literally living in my car in my 2001 Toyota Corolla. Every night I would park somewhere different so that people can't, you know, won't call caps on me because it happened a couple of times. And it was a tough time, you know, Um, all I could afford was a gym membership and I would go, in the morning to LA fitness, shout out to, to the gym. And I'll do my workout in the morning, shower, come out very sharp, you know, always work on my mindset. Like if nothing is wrong, even though I had milk in my trunk and some cereal, that's what I usually get for, for breakfast. And after that I go to the public library in downtown Riverside and I take advantage of two hours of free internet one hour I spent it uh, listening to Tony Robbins and uh Robin uh, Brendan Bouchard videos about motivation and mindset. And the other hour I would spend it, you know, looking for jobs. And the hype at the time was, you know, follow your passion. So my passion was all about electronics and space and technology. So I looked for a job at a company in Riverside that was selling electronics, and I emailed I called them actually. I was like, hey, I would love, because hey. You always want to differentiate yourself from other people. So instead of just sending an email with my resume, I actually called and I asked for an appointment to literally give them a physical copy of my resume face-to-face. So when I called, the manager said, oh, I'm sorry, we don't have any openings and we don't do that. I was like, how about 2 4 p.m. tomorrow? It's quick. One minute, I'm just going to show up. I, wanna, I want us to meet you know, face-to-face so whenever you have an opening, you can always think about me. Right. So that's how I thought about myself of differentiating from others. Anyways, after persistent, you know, kind of like conversations she's like, OK, fine. Tomorrow, 4 p.m., show up here on time. The next day I was late by 35 minutes to that appointment. Because I didn't have GPS. I just wrote the directions on like a piece of paper. And it, I got lost. And it was like a whole different story to get there. But anyways, when I showed up within five minutes, also the owner was there. Because who's, he's, he heard about me. And he's like, okay, who's this person who actually <laughs> wants to come in person for his resume, right? So, uh, yeah, his name is Vector, And uh, so when I got there, within five minutes of talking to them, he's like, you know what? I like you, kid. We're going to give you a spot in our sales team starting Monday. And this was Wednesday. And you will get 90 days probation. If you can prove yourself, then we'll we'll sign you up on a contract. So the company was selling electronics for, you know, different industries. And I went on to actually beat their top sales guy, Mike, you know, uh, within the first month. And uh, I remember we had a briefing on a Friday and the owner was like, hey, Mike, how is it that the newcomer, the new sales guy, Simon, is beating you up and sales number. And it's like, well, uh, everybody likes to buy from Simon because he has a an- net. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man. But, yeah, so that's how I learned about, about that industry that I love so much because you get calls from different engineers building cool stuff. So I, I, I worked there for full-time for two years and a half. And also I went to RCC for college at night for two years and a half. And uh, I was able also to rent a garage in Moreno Valley that was turned to like a master bedroom. So that's what happened after I came to the United States. And in the middle of 2012, I quit my job that I had at the time and also quit my school. On the same day, I had my finals on summer 2012 and started my own company the next day, selling electronics for uh, specifically uh, aerospace manufacturers. Aviation, military, and and that type of industries. So it it was a a small business. I started from a garage and then moved to Anaheim after that. Um, But it was was an interesting Mm -hmm. time too.
0: And from that, how did you get into coaching and speaking? When when was the first time on stage?
1: Yeah, so this is another sign, like I said earlier, like you always want to pay attention to those omens. You always want to have a different perspective about what's happening with you in life rather than just what you want to push forward, right? Because we spend a lot of our times pushing back against versus pushing back against things that are not going the way we want them, pushing back against some, uh, you know, bad things coming our way. But the biggest power and the biggest, you know, uh, allowance we can have is, is allowing things to happen, you know, for us. So, so for me, how I got to coaching and how I got to started sharing uh, my knowledge and also uh, teaching and training people about their life and also their businesses and their branding, it all came as an accident, literally. Like other people asked me, and and uh, so I built my my company selling electronics, uh, and I was able to serve bigger companies like like Boeing, NASA, and and other uh, big Inc. 500, you know, the biggest companies in the world, and. Also, something cool happened in, in 2015, and this is probably the first time I speak about it on a podcast, but the U.S. government showed up to my office in 2015 asking me about certain certain regulations that are in place for our industry because aerospace is very, very heavily regulated. Uh, long story short, the U.S. government asked me to work for them using my knowledge, and we ended up working we ended up working on a classified contract for some stuff that they wanted uh, to happen in the market. And I was super happy to serve this country that served me and that saved my life back when I was in Morocco. And that happened back in 2015. And that, that was like the peak, you know, moment of, 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 my, of my work with this company that I started. And from there, like, uh, you know, uh, I, I never thought that I would be coaching people. But in late 2016, early 2017, one of my good friends knows about me. He knows about my story. He knows about everything that I've gone through and everything that I'm doing. So this guy, he's a digital marketer, and uh, he put up an event, a live event for for clients in Irvine, California. And one of the speakers bailed out on him the day before his event. He's like, hey, I got this 30-minute, you know, uh, that is That has opened in my in, in the event, would you like to come and share your story with my audience? I know you, I know what you stand for. I think it 's going to be an inspirational story for people to just see how you overcome adversity and also how you take yourself from uh, nothing to doing anything you want and that 's how I started. So I went to that event. I literally never spoke on stage. I remember he 's like hey it 's tomorrow." I went home and I started Googling, speaking on stage, how to tell your story. I swear to God, I did not sleep that night. Not for a minute. I was just reading, learning, practicing, put up an outline and everything. And I'm like, okay, I got 30 minutes. What can I speak on for 30 minutes? How can I take people uh, on on the emotion side of my story? And also what can I teach them effectively? And, and that's, that's how it started. So I went, I spoke on stage, and after that, there were 50 people lined up uh, you know, in the back of the room. Everybody wants to take a picture, everybody wants to know you, and you know, exchange Instagram and, and Facebook names. And then there were these two people. One, uh, she's a female entrepreneur. She invited me to speak for her one breakfast club the, the, the month after that, and also another person invited me to go train their, you know, their team in Irvine. And that's how I discovered this industry of branding, and also teaching your knowledge, and also guiding people through certain, you know, adversities and certain issues that they might have. So from there, uh, I started uh, learning more about this, and I started going to events, and I started teaching myself, and also invested in masterminds and courses, and and other coaches, and uh, and from there, in twenty eighteen. I launched my own kind of like brand and and, and started doing one-to-one with, with, with people on the side. I'm still running my, my electronics business, but also I'm, uh, I, I find a lot more fulfilling feeling when I help people see something different in their, in their lives or in their business or give them some new ideas to reinvent themselves, especially now that we live in a very tough time, right? There's a lot of uncertainty going on right now. You cannot plan ahead of like more than two or three weeks from now because you don't know what's going to happen. I grew up with that feeling. That's like my life. You know, you know what I mean? Like I grew up with a lot of uncertainty. So to me, this is like normal life. So right now, I, I help a lot of people with with, with planning their, their branding or their their business, or how can you monetize your knowledge, or how can you coach, or what type of format you want to put out there so that you can take people on an emotional roller coaster so that they can relate to your story more, so that you can teach better, so that they can learn more from you. And that's how I got to this uh, to this industry, and I'm I'm glad that also my partner Samantha is branding herself, and we're doing this together. And yeah, so that's where we are now. And did
0: you like over? Did you just was it just an automatic yes for you when he asked, or did you ha- like take some time to think about it? Like it's like tomorrow, I've never spoke before. Am I ready? Or was it just like a full body yes for you?
1: Yeah. Yeah, so if you know me, if you ask me right now, hey, would you like to go on a trip? We're going to jump from, you know, we're going to go skydiving. Uh, I'll be (laughs) like, oh, yes, (laughs) let's go. So I'm always a yes guy type of of, of man. Like whenever there's something new that's coming my way, I'm always, okay, let's do it. So yeah, uh, his name is Adam. So when Adam approached me, I... Honestly, at the time I spoke to him before about my website, like, okay, I'm gonna need a website, I'm gonna need to do some some certain things with my branding. But so when he approached me, I was like, okay, why not? I can come and just, you know, speak. I saw it like as I love challenges, you know. If there's anything that summarizes my my, my life, here's a funny story for you. When I first came here, not a lot of Americans actually know where Morocco is. So people hear my accent and they're like, oh, I hear an accent. Where are you from? I say, I'm originally from Morocco. 90% of people think it's Monaco. Monaco is like the richest, you know, sovereignty city, uh, southern France. They're like, oh, you must be rich. So why are you here? I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm not going to teach you where Morocco is. But anyways, I'm just here to challenge myself, see what else is possible and see what, what I can come up with. But yeah, so that's, it's, it's. I think if you would like to improve your life, if you would like to build a life of uh, impact and fulfillment, you have to be curious about trying new things, especially if it, if it's challenging the status quo, if it's challenging your normal day to day life, right? Because what makes us happy is is that excitement about trying something new, right? So I always try to live by that principle. And, and when the opportunity came to me, uh, hey, it's just like when the US government showed up uh, in my office. Literally, it was like the movies, you know, two tall white dudes showing up with the suit and showing me their badge. And they're like, hey, Mr. Mm-hmm. Simon. And I'm like, yep. There was an opportunity to come. And I'm like, all right, let's see what else is out there. And uh, it was, yeah. There's always something equal or greater that happens when you say yes.
0: And to someone who's looking to call in a partner like Sam, and they want to have like a dynamic like you
1: two have,
0: what advice would you give them?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I always get that question. So personally, I always give this, it's not an analogy, but here's what I did. So before I met Sam, I was single for about four years, dating here and there. And I just got tired of dating because at the time I wasn't ready. So when I felt, okay, I want something serious. I want to be in a relationship that reflects the values and also the dreams and everything that I want to have in my future. I started acting as if I was in a relationship already. So usually as a man or as a guy, I go out, or, you know, either in a restaurant, a bar or a grocery store or whatever, you know, you meet people, you see somebody attractive, and you're like, oh, cool, I mean, let's let's start a conversation. When I decided, okay, I want to be in a relationship, I acted as if I have a girlfriend, if I have a partner. And whenever I meet a new girl somewhere, I don't give my number. I don't go and just start talking because you're, you know, a girl is hot or she's wearing whatever, but I always tell my mind, okay, I have better at home. You know, I'm in a relationship because my belief is when you're going to meet that soulmate or that twin flame or that person that you're going to be with, it's going to be an energetic meeting. You're going to feel it at the deeper soul. Like you don't have to, Push yourself to it. You don't have to, like, you know, move mountains or like try to adjust, you know, things or try to go and create some sort of sophisticated topic just so that you can talk to the person. It's going to happen naturally. And that's what happened between me and Sam. And we were at a conference in Toronto at Robin Sharma's leadership conference. And this is another thing you always want to look for. your people, uh, people that, you know, in a relationship, if you want to be with somebody, you want to be in an environment that has like-minded people, or at least people with the same interest. Okay. Like Sam and I are very different people. Like we balance each other's out, but we both have a common vision for how we think about the future, how we think about the impact, about life in general, about characteristically, like we're, we're, we're different, but we have a common vision. So, I don't think I would have found Sam like at a bar. Or if I saw her at a bar, for example, I don't think I would, I would talk to her the same way as if I met, when I met her at a, a leadership conference. Because somebody who goes to conferences is somebody who is serious about their life, somebody who is investing their time, their energy, and their money into learning and getting themselves to be better, right? So that's the type of characteristics that you want to look for in a person right so that that's what i did and this is exactly what i tell also my friends on how to call in that Mm. one
0: and what was your first impression of her
1: my first impression that's a good one so yeah you know how i met, right
0: yeah 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 yeah. i know the whole story in her version
1: so pretty much what happened so we, we were at a conference and it was lunchtime and uh, you go to a buffet, you pick up your meal and then you go sit on a table, right? So it was Saturday. I was super tired from everything that we've learned and I just wanted to sit. I was super tired from talking and learning on that morning, so I didn't want to talk to anyone. I went and I sat down on the middle of the half, the empty half side of that table and there she was right in front of me um, talking with her hands all over the air to this guy next to her. Now, everybody uh, on that table you know, said hi to me. Oh, hey, what's your name? This and that, except her. She was just like eating, like her, her head was down, and the thing, till like everyone says, you know, ended the conversation with me, and then she started talking to the other person. I was like, okay, who in the world is this lady who did not look at me for like even a second? And I was there for 40 minutes eating my lunch. And all I was looking at is her. I just want to make that eye contact. I didn't know why. I I just wanted to make that eye contact. And she never did. I finished my meal. I left the table and she never looked at me. And that kind of like, I don't know if it's an ego thing, but to me, it was more than that. It was more kind of like, okay, I just need to... Get in touch with this lady. Maybe because I was thinking maybe she's in a relationship with the guy. Maybe she's married. Oh, she's not wearing a ring. Okay, is she like I, I didn't know anything, but I just know. Okay, even if she's in a relationship, I just need to say hi. I don't know why. You see what I mean? So, yeah. Long story short, uh, when I was leaving that lunch area, so that's when we met by the door, kind of like exiting at the same time. And hey, how are you? So we started kind of talking, and we exchanged phone numbers. There was this kind of like mysterious energy between us. I just knew that, you know, we, we had so much to talk about, uh, but at the same time, the time wasn't, you know, like, like we had to go back right after that to the, you know, to the conference. The night, uh, after that at night, we met for, for a drink, which actually funny story, she gave me a wrong address to where we're going to meet. So she was in the other side of town. Was
0: that an accident? <laughs> so or I or took an
1: I think, no, I took <laughs> an accident. It was an accident. So I, I was at a different side of town. And then I called. She's like, oh, uh, you're in a different side of town. And, uh, and then I had to, you know, get another Uber and go back to where she was. Uh, so I was pretty much like 45 minutes late for, you know, the time that we supposed to meet. She was there. So we had our first drink and we spoke and it was nice. And uh, we had a really nice conversation. And yeah, so that's when I told her about what Robin Sharma told us uh, about, hey, uh, do you do anything in your private life that nobody knows about? So for me, I I write philosophical poetry, which I never showed to anybody. And then that night I told her, hey, uh, Robin asked us if we're doing something privately. I got this poem that I just wrote two months ago, I'd love to share it with you. And she's like, oh, yeah, show it to me, you know, tomorrow. So when I showed up on the next day on Sunday, she ignored me all day long. And you know the rest of the story. Robin Sharma called her on stage to give, you know, a giveaway at the end of the day. And right after that, he calls me too. And we were actually sitting separately, like she was sitting on the right side of the room. I was sitting all the way in the back on the left side. So again, that was a sign for me. How is it that in the middle of 500 people, only that girl that I was supposed to talk to has been called on stage? And right after her, Robin, Robin doesn't know us, okay? He calls me in to be on stage. So I literally grabbed my laptop, you know, and I went on stage with Robin and told him, hey, there's a girl here I'm supposed to you know, show her this, this poem. Could you just read it for everybody? That way, you know, you guys, everyone is going to know about it. And uh, Robin read my, my, my poem on stage and I ended up having a standing ovation. And it was, uh, it was beautiful. Everyone was, you know, coming to me at the, the end of the room saying, thank you, that was beautiful. Then the girl who ignored me all day long Sam she showed up like hey that was beautiful I was like excuse me I'm pretty busy right now <laughs> let's catch up later which yeah we ended up having dinner that night and that's how we started
0: and what was like the inspiration like that have you ever done any like big romantic gestures ever before is this like your first big one or is this just like are you a romantic
1: yeah I love so I have this uh, principle. I always like to push things to an epic level in terms of experience. So even in my dates, I always try to do something you know that is different, um, something that's memorable. Because I believe in the fact that we we are all students of life, whether we end up with each other or no, we we influence each other, and what goes around comes comes around. So I always try to make life as as much as as, as much you know as, as beautiful as possible so yeah with sam we've done a lot of things kind of like you know that are not normal i mean i don't know if uh, you want me to go deep into like my personal story with her but yeah we uh we ended up you know we ended up meeting a burning man and uh, you know we ended up traveling to you know, Phoenix for, you know, a conference with Brandon Bussard, And then from there, you know, a spontaneous trip to Sedona. And then uh, she invited me to, to, to her town in Canada, literally like the day before I was like, okay, well, I'll show up. And then after that um, she, you know, she came into Morocco and and we went on a date in Morocco. And then after that we went on a date to Bali to go to A-Fest. And then from there, um, yeah, there's always these things that, happen by, you know, like it's it's a synchronicity kind of thing. You know, it's like you don't really try hard for it. You don't try to show off. It's just it happens that, you know, things are pushed in a certain way to make you both experience something together. It's like, you know, so after we met, um, she came visit me in L.A. In, in July 2018. And then after that in August. So we started kind of like we didn't know what to do with our whole So we kind of like cooled it down in August. She was at Burning Man and I was too at Burning Man, but I didn't know her camp. I had no idea where she was. At this point, uh, you know, we're just friends. And after the fourth day at at the burn, I randomly uh, stumbled into her mom in the middle of 75,000 people at the burn. And it turns out her camp was two blocks away from where I parked my RV. At the uh, self parking side in at the Burning Man, so this is another thing that that this is the omens that I tell you about. Things happen with us that you have to look at them from a bird eye view, from a third party kind of like, okay, why is it that I met this person? Right. So I met her mom, and it's like, oh yeah, our camp is just right here. So the next day I showed up. Oh hey Samantha, you know, and then we, yeah, we started our friendship there and. Uh, and, and it's important to look at life in a some sort of like a philosophical way. Unfortunately, our lives today have been managed and governed by policies and politics instead of philosophy. You know, life right now, everyone looks around based on self-interest, based on you know selfishness of okay, uh, what am I going to get from this or. Uh, What is this going to cost me? But when you look at life in a philosophical way, when you you look at things that happen and what's the reason for them to happen, you start seeing that you're in good hands. You know, God, the universe is always putting you on the right path. It's just the fact that we as humans will love to have control and know what's going to happen in the future. That screws up how you feel about situations. Mm-hmm. You see what I mean? So it's even like now, like where I am in my life and, and how I, you know, I've taken some bold moves, moves in the past month. It's all part of that. You know, once you analyze that you're on the right path, you just have to surrender to the growth. Uh, you, you'll never be stressed about life. You'll never be stressed about relationships or, or anything because at the end of it, you always find that you always end up in a better place no matter what right? And if something bad happens, whether it's small or big, uh, there's always something equal or greater that that comes out of it, something positive. And, and, And when you connect the dots backward, you see how if this didn't happen, this could, wouldn't have, have happened. And this if this didn't happen, this wouldn't have happened. It's, right, it's mm-hmm. like with you. If whatever happened with your job in March didn't happen, this podcast wouldn't exist. If this podcast didn't exist, other mm-hmm. things wouldn't happen, right? So when you look at the future, you have to have the blind faith that the dots will connect forward. You know, Steve Jobs says this is the best. And this is what it means by that.
0: And what is something that you're learning right now?
1: A lot of things. There's not only one. Thing. <laughs> we always, we always learn. We always learn um, in life when we want. When we look at life with the lens of a student, and so for me, so during this pandemic that's happening, I've been quarantined in LA since March. Literally, have not moved. I've not like seen people um, except once for my birthday in April, and it, you know I was super, you know, precautious and everything. Uh, That's because, you know, like I told you, I had tuberculosis in my lungs, and uh, I'm considered a very vulnerable person for this virus, so I'm trying to not get sick. So I've been quarantined for five months, and um, the past month, I just um, let go of my place in L.A. I let go of my car and anything I could sell and moved some stuff to the storage, and I Switched everything I do for my electronics business uh, online. So I don't really have to be in office. Uh, I subcontracted a lot of things that we, that we do. And also with the coaching business, I do it online. And I learned that when time comes, when the universe gives you signs that you have to take bigger moves and surrender to the unknown, you have to answer that, that call. And for me, that's what happened in the past month. For example, like my legs came up at the end of it, you know of of uh, of August, and also I wanted to to get out of of you know of the house. Like you know, where else can you go? Like United States cases are all over the place, so I can't really go out and mingle with people because I might put my life you know in jeopardy. So right now we're here in the Caribbean um, islands. We found a small island where there's no case, you know, and uh, we, we're we pretty uh, safe here. But in order for me to switch everything in life, in my life, to be able to go anywhere and work from anywhere, I had to have that blind faith that the dots will connect forward, right? My lease ended in August for a reason. And there were other small details that just happened for example, my electronics business, I switched it fully online already at the end of last year, right? So even like this whole year, I was just working from home. So uh, I was okay. I was like, that's another sign. Now if I can just work from home, I can just go anywhere else and it could be home too. So that's the biggest lesson that I'm learning right now is the the surrendering, the surrendering for the unknown, and, and and you have to have the blind faith that everything is going to work out because it always does.
0: And what's something you're manifesting right now?
1: That's a very tricky question. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there are so many things, there are so many things, uh, you know, that you would like to happen. I think um, what I would like to see is an effective vaccine or an effective solution for this pandemic. You know, I just want... If anything that I want, I want life to get back to more and people because I might be fortunate that I've designed my life in a certain way that I can work from anywhere. I can, you know, I'm, um, you know, I, I can do whatever I want, but I know that there are millions of other people that are suffering right now. And if there's any manifestation that I would love to, uh, could be for the benefits of, uh, of people. And uh, that's what I think about right now. I think about my family. I think about my friends. So yeah, that would be something I'd like to manifest is like some sort of normalcy, some sort of like end for this nightmare of the pandemic that we have right now.
0: And if you can go back in time and talk to your 20 year old self, what advice would you give him? <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, I think, um, so in my in my situation, um, like in a country like Morocco, when you are the oldest of the family, you have a lot on your on your shoulders. You have the responsibility of your family. And uh, any advice I could give to my twenty, uh, you know, years old version would be to to be to be easy on myself. I think in my twenties, I didn't do a lot of partying. You know, um, I did. My fair share. I didn't, but I was always, I always put my uh, my time for work, for my family, for something to build into 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 the future, which paid off. But I think there are certain things that you only enjoy in your twenties, and uh, I could have used a lot more of easiness if I would, if I could. That that's something that I would say to my twenty years uh, twenty years old, just. Be easy on yourself it's funny because when we say we only accept ourselves when we are in our 30s right like when you're in 20s you're always hard on yourself well oh, i should be looking this way i should have that i should buy this i should act this way but when you're in your 30s that's when you're like okay i'm okay with my nose i'm okay with how my hair looks like you know and it's just part of self-discovery you know as we go in life as we grow we learn more about ourselves and about life and and we evolve so it's all okay
0: thank you so much for doing this
1: oh thank you for having me Sophia. i i feel really happy that i was able to come and share my story with your audience and i hope that this uh will move somebody to believe in themselves and also to take actions into strategizing their future in a way that's going to give them more freedom and also more fulfillment
0: and where can people connect with you
1: yeah, you can either, you know, DM me on Instagram at Simon Sady, uh or on um, LinkedIn or Facebook as well. Or you could just go to my website, com and we'll uh, get in touch there.
0: Thank you guys so much for listening. I love if you can leave me a review on iTunes. Please feel free to share it with any friends you think the story would resonate with. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day.